I want to do a shout out to one of our amazing partners, Banzoogle. Now, Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a stunning website for artists. Now, I have personally have used web builders for years. In fact, the 8020 Records website is maintained by yours truly. But honestly, these days, as someone who represents artists, I just want something straightforward that still looks amazing and works with everything that we use, such as Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Bands of Town, Printful, and so forth. And Banzoogle checks off all of these. Also, for those of you who have no idea how to build websites, don't worry, they make it super easy there too. You do not need to know a single line of code. In fact, after you sign up, they go step-by-step step through each part of the process to get you up and running. Plus, their pricing is practically the same as if you paid for a web host. So really, it's a no-brainer. Lastly, and most importantly, what I love about Banzoogle is the people. Every single person I've spoken to has been nothing but kind and extremely responsive and helpful. They truly care about the artists that use their platform. And honestly, don't just take my word for it. Go listen to my interview with Stacy Bedford, the CEO of the company. Banzoogle is also offering to all our listeners 15% off the first year of any subscription. Just enter the promo code 8020show or 8020show, like the numbers, on banzoogle.com. I'll also put it in the description. Built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle. You're listening to The 8020 Show, an inside look into the music industry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The 8020 Show. I am your host, Mike Zimmerlich, and this is going to be another topic discussion, this time on failed projects. Now, I brought back Emily from Turn Zero, as well as Moira, who's been the incredible post-production manager for this podcast, to come back and to talk about failed projects on 8020 Records. Both Emily and Moira have been interns in the past, so we thought it would be fun to go down memory lane and talk about the kinds of projects we've done, and specifically the ones that we consider to be failures, or at the very least, a part of it being a failure. I thought this was also an important subject to go over because it's so easy to talk about the successes that you've had, but it's a lot more challenging to talk about the failures. And failures, I feel, are far more important than your successes because failures is what is going to let you learn from your mistakes and how to do them better. So I thought that this would be a good topic to go over, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I went down memory lane with both Emily and Moira. So here it is, all about failed projects. Hey, Moira. Hey, Emily. How are you? Hello. Hey. Thank you so much for coming back onto the show. I do really appreciate it. Always. For sure. So yeah. we've been doing some uh, new kinds of episodes for the 8020 show, and we've done our first one not too long ago, which is called Topic Discussions, where I love to bring back uh, guests that I've interviewed before, which obviously both of you have been on the 8020 show. So I was thinking this would be a fun way to bring both of you back to discuss a specific topic. And I know actually Moira, uh, we were talking about this earlier about all the failed projects from 8020 records. And I do love talking about the failed projects, why, why they didn't work, why we started to do it in the first place, because you know, everyone likes to talk about their successes and what worked, but we don't often talk about what didn't. And almost all the time, if you talk to anybody who's had a lot of successes, it's because you have, they had 10 times more failures to get to those successes. So 
yeah, we're going to be talking about that today. And I'm trying to think of a good one to start off with. And so what you're saying is that this is a roast mic session. This is definitely going to be a roast mic session. <laughs> the roast of mics, and we're like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All my crazy ideas. Can we start with the medium blog? Okay. Okay. We can start with the medium blog. <laughs> okay. This Amazing. one's my favorite. Go ahead. So, so Mike was trying to do this daily blog and daily didn't become a thing. So it was weekly. So a weekly blog. Um, that eventually became monthly because weekly wasn't a thing. So this monthly blog that Mike decided he was going to do for people in the music industry. So sort of like what the podcast role is, but on a more amateur level. No offense, Mike. Not taken. Um, but I remember being an intern and Mike sending me these like four paragraphs and on, on like a topic. And I was just like, Mike. And it was, yeah, I know. I just... I wrote it in like an hour before we had our meeting today. And I was like, you're no better than a high schooler. What are you doing? And granted, there were a lot of great topics that we have recycled for the podcast and that we've revisited later for, for the content creation, because sometimes you can recycle content like that if it doesn't work the first time. But it's hilarious looking at how hard Mike tried and wanted this project to work. And it just, it, it didn't. Yeah, it was it, it was one of those things where I was thinking about what I can do to create my own content. And this was way before even remotely considering doing a podcast. And so I was trying to think of what I enjoyed to do, and I did enjoy to write. And so I thought, well, if I did these little blog articles about things about the music industry of lessons I've learned and just the things that I found were interesting, whatever the case is. I know there are a lot of people out there that do something like that, but my own take, if you will, on those things uh, and kind of put it together. So that's why I originally wanted to do and use it as a way to, we can take clips from it and put it into social media and have it used for multiple different purposes. But yeah, after a while, like it was, it, I was going for a little while, but then I lost inspiration and started having struggling coming with ideas. So I didn't have much enough of a runway to keep it going. I think you also limited yourself because it was trying to cater to one specific audience when there were certain topics that you could talk about that were still relevant to your blog that just would have catered towards necessarily different audience that you hadn't been cultivating. So I think you were too scared to take that risk and lose a little bit of progress that you had made. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, is there any memories that you have, Moira, of, of the, um, the Medium blogs? Uh, this was the blog that had the infamous exhaustion at the Starbucks table, right? Oh, yeah. So there is one... <laughs> So there is one, I think, ironically, was it, wasn't it about failures to that article? It might have been. I think that article was also specifically about failure, if I remember correctly. And so we were, so uh, as a team, uh, specifically uh, when uh, Emily was a team member for 820 Records, as well as Moira, we uh, did these weekly meetings at Starbucks. And we would get together and go over what was going on with the company. And uh, so we're trying to find... I was uh, putting together one of the blogs and needed some sort of image. So I literally said, hey, I'm just going to lay on the table uh, <laughs> right now and pretend very, very poorly pretend that I'm very frustrated and exhausted. And we took the picture. I'm like, cool, that's it. And then <laughs> off it went. I'm pretty sure I actually still have this photo on my phone. Um, really? <laughs> I I'm having flashbacks to this day at the Starbucks. 
that picture lives in my mind rent free. I think about that <laughs> at right. least like twice a month, if not once a week. It I just don't have to find that I'm image. Like, ah, good, I'm gonna have to find that image and, and post it on our socials again. It'll so, be the thumbnail. Yeah, it'll definitely be the <laughs> thumbnail for this entire episode. That actually yeah, does, yeah, kind of does sum up this entire thing. So not like super relevant, and I'm sorry, but on the topic of failed Starbucks things, the very first photo that I have saved on my phone <laughs> is a masterpiece by Moira. One. Wow. Um, that I am sending to Mike right now. But Moira drew a fedora on Mike because he had not worn it that day. Wow. So my own failed project was not presenting myself correctly in our own team meetings is basically what you're saying. And then my failed project was trying to draw something on Snapchat. So (laughs) we had a lot of fun at our meetings. We really did. Uh, I miss those days. Um, So, yeah, so that so like you mentioned, Emily, was a lot of times these projects, even though they didn't turn out what we expected them to be. It was essentially the precursor for the 8020 show itself in many ways, because a lot of these uh, subjects and topics I have now revisited, as you mentioned, within the within a various different episodes and with various different people that I've interviewed. I use that a lot of times as a base point and also reference those stories from time to time as well. So that was one of the things that really I felt was that I got out of it, even though it didn't do what I was expecting it to do, which was. Uh, essentially a re- recurring blog that I can use to to build an audience from, which was the original plan. That didn't work out at all, but it did help me write out a number of my experiences and put it down so I can remember a little bit more in detail about things that happened in the past. So It's also really cool because you can look back at a lot of those blog articles and there were a handful of them that mentioned like specific accomplishments that you've done. And now you can look at that and go, wow, I thought that was huge. Now I'm here, you know, so you kind of have that documentation also of just like the history within um, your own mind, kind of the progress that you've seen there. Absolutely. So uh, let's go on to another failed project. I mean, I I, I narrowed this down. So I I put it down to like my my favorite examples of things, but I mean, there's so many more. And so another one that we came up with, uh, or my brilliant idea was this service called Elite EPK. And I don't know if, remember, if you do remember that or not, but Elite EPK was essentially the concept of that we were developed, we've noticed that a number of artists had no electronic pe- press kits of any kind or or didn't really have much of a website. So or we thought, the EPKs well, that they did have were really not great. They were not that great. They're questionable. So we were thinking about, well, what if we combine the best of both worlds where we basically created a one page website that acted as the EPK so that this way they're getting something that is professional and customized, but is more affordable than trying to hire somebody to design a whole entire website for you. So trying to find that kind of like that little happy medium. And so the whole thing was templated essentially, but we would go in and make changes to it and update it and and take care of all those things that most of the time that artists aren't capable of doing themselves or they just simply just don't have the time or don't want to do so that was kind of the the idea behind elite epk and it launched and we actually did have a number of clients that did um purchase that service which was was fantastic um but then i think after time i just realized that the role of epks have changed quite a bit 
over time. And on top of that, too, there have been other services. And it's kind of ironic because literally the current sponsor for the 8020 show is Van Zugel. And Van Zugel has been doing this for for much longer time frame and does it honestly 10 times a hundred or no, I'm not lying, a hundred times better than this possibly could have been. So I'm sorry, I was gonna say no, I go think ahead. the worst part about Elite APK were the artists that didn't have bios. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because in yes. like guilty as charged have i written turn zeros bios no i have not um when it comes to bio writing i remember looking at some of these people and it was we play music or a four-piece band and that was like all they had and i was just like this is stupid why mm-hmm. don't you guys have bios and then i'd listen to their music and i'd be like what do i even say mm-hmm. how do you even words so like I definitely i think that that's better in somebody else's hands <laughs> just yeah. from that perspective alone the amount of time that um goes into i feel like writing bios is severely overlooked it is and oh, there, there are professionals sure. out there that do that um so moira did, sorry did you have something to add oh no i was just agreeing with the fact that it like i was kind of one of those like ignorant people where i was like oh it like it wouldn't be that hard to write a bio and then i tried doing it and i was like mm, gross never want to do this again so I've gotten accustomed to doing them. And I think that was one of the other benefits for Elite DPK was uh, that I've done so, like I've helped artists revise their bios so often that Elite EPK was something that was a combination of not only the technical aspect and the design aspect of the EPK, but also what to put into it as well. And I think that was also the added benefit essentially. It was like this combination of like a PR consulting, if you will, of what your EPK should include and how it should be presented in addition to actually putting, crafting the whole thing together. So again, it was kind of like this, kind of like this, this medium ground of various different things to have something that's presentable. But, you know, like I said, you know, I was, I, I really was passionate about the idea, but after time, I just realized that it just didn't have enough legs to really go to the next step. And like I said, even though Banzoogle doesn't necessarily go into that depth into like they don't obviously do consulting things like that just provide the platform itself but the platform is just amazing like i i really love what they did there so that that's what i would would do these days honestly is doing something like that and then actually having like an actual pr agent or something along those lines or your label or management to help you put everything together So yeah, Elite EBK was uh, definitely uh, <laughs> a fun project and was definitely well worth doing. But that's the other thing too, because that also helped me figure some things out with our own artists and to get even better about uh, putting together our own like, you know, websites and EBKs and things like that too, because I did it with other people too. Okay, so that was Elite EBK. Looking at my list here. So um, Moira. You want to talk mm. about the 13, 13 year anniversary giveaway contest? Ah, yes, <laughs> that one. What so, a time. So, Mori, why don't you talk, talk about what that was? So, uh, Mike and I were discussing something that we could do for the 13th anniversary of the label. And we had this idea to do, well, we're like, oh, we could do this little, like, like exclusive, like, merch giveaway because, you know, bands and record labels and companies do that all the time it's like you have an anniversary you you do a little a little shindig a little uh 
I'm so glad I'm the editor and I can edit this out. Dear Lord, my brain just stopped working. <laughs> Please don't edit it out. Please leave it. <laughs> no, but we decided to, you know, make this little like exclusive merch item. It was going to be really cute. And then Mike had the idea of, like, or not the idea. Mike had the realization of, oh, like the first Iron Man movie came out like around the same time. So we were, and Mike and I are both big nerds, especially Marvel nerds. So we were both like, what if we do this like Iron Man inspired, like 80-20 piece? It's going to be great. And then in my infinite wisdom, I was like, even better. What if we make the arc reactor and then like fashion it after the 80-20 logo? And, you know, and then, I mean, the design was okay. I, I, oh, the yeah. design was great. Like there was no issue with the design. I thought the whole concept was super fun. I, I loved everything about it. And doing this like uh, hybrid with A20 Records and Marvel was to me like a super fun idea. And then I just remember being uncomfortable about the entire thing. Really? <laughs> yeah, I hated it because to me it wasn't re- it wasn't relatable. But that was because I didn't grow up with the Marvel stuff. So every time you guys were like, yeah, we could do this. I'm like, yeah, that's stupid. Yeah, we could do this. Yeah, I'm just, I'm not feeling it. And then it was, well, we're going with this idea. It's really, really good. And I was like, okay, I don't get it, but you guys do. That's like most of what I remember from it. Yeah, I think the challenge was that, that I think it was maybe a little too niche for our audience. Mm-hmm. I think was a definitely a, a thing too. Also, like the demand. I mean, we I wasn't sure if how many people would be interested in it. I knew that honestly going into it, and nobody was interested in it. I think it was no. ended up being a little too niche, and I think it was still a little bit. Um, I think it was still a little bit early because we were still trying to develop our own content as a twenty records. So most people knew us through our artists, which rightfully show. So that's what we're supposed to be doing, but we didn't really have enough for a 20 records itself to have enough attention towards that so i think it was like a combination of those things uh also i think we kind of rushed promoting it too <laughs> oh, we a thousand percent did it was just yeah. i think was one of those things where we were like we got time to do this and then we blinked and then looked at the calendar and went oh we don't have time to do this and then so we like we had to rush it out the door and it was just yeah, because I agree that we didn't have the platform that especially like all the artists do, which again, rightfully so. But we were like, let's here's this giveaway. And I think I can definitely count on one hand how many people entered the giveaway. No, no. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's all family and friends. Hands, yeah. And then I could probably count on two hands how many people actually have physical products. Yeah. And two of those people are in this Zoom call right now. They're probably now. in the Zoom call right now. <laughs> I should probably get the t-shirt. <laughs> oh man. But I think for me though, it was a good barometer to realize that we, as, as 80, if we wanted to do something like that, we needed to do a better job of, of cultivating our own community and audience. Wait, I just remembered another kind of failed project that was oh, sort of like this, where the design was pretty cool, but the project itself didn't really pan out. You guys want to know what it was? What was it? Do I want to Warped know? shirts. Oh my okay. god. So oh my god. So that worked and didn't work um for mm-hmm. lots of reasons. So, so we didn't do the bleach. So we were supposed to like tie-dye bleach or reverse tie-dye, I think is what it's called. These shirts that Moira had designed. The design was really cool. Um and we waited I think until a couple of days before warp tour. Yeah. To try to tie-dye these things and then realized this is a bust. 
Like mm-hmm. this is not working with the supplies that we have. And we didn't have the time to go out and get the right supplies to do it the correct way. Mm-hmm. So we had about 10 or 15 of these tie-dyed warped shirts. And then the rest of them were just solid black. And I just remember leaving with this box <laughs> of shirts. I still have that box. <laughs> now, I will say this though, is that the bleach shirts, there's still, there's still actually some of those left over. So we mm-hmm. still had uh, plenty of those. So to give a little bit more context, what we did was, it, this was end up being the final year of Warp Tour. And Warp Tour was very nice of, uh, of them to offer to us a booth um, at the Phoenix location. So we actually borrowed the tent from KWSS radio and we set up a whole thing and we wanted to, to do something that incorporated Warp Tour and the things that they believed in and everything like that in it. So uh, we were able to get this the shirt sponsored by uh, Bravo now known as Famigo. And so thank you so much, Maria, for believing in us and investing into those t-shirts, which is fantastic. So we included their logo. Uh, we mentioned Warp Tour. Our logo was on it and to this really cool design that Moyer has done. And we did this Okay, I know there was not a better, there was no better words to explain, explain it, but we did a scavenger hunt yeah. um, where basically we had a list of, of essentially quests that we would have people do. Everything from uh, following different socials to going to different other tents uh, at Warp Tour, especially for, um, for uh, Fend, which was against uh, opioid abuse. So uh, there was a lot of things we incorporated uh, that involved Warp Tour into this little quests, if you will. And as long as they uh, completed a certain number of quests, then they would get a t-shirt and we would have a bunch of their bleach and all kinds of different designs. I remember even going to your backyard, Emily, and like, you know, having these tables and then uh, filling up bleach in these uh, spray bottles and, and spraying them on. And we'd cut out like these shapes out of paper plates. And it was a lot of fun. I actually had a, so much, such a good time doing this. And you know, we just literally ran out of time because there were just so many shirts that we had. So there were a lot that were just end up being black, but we had quite a bit actually of, of these bleach shirts. And that actually did pretty well. Actually, I was actually pretty happy with how many people did come to our booth and actually went through the whole process of uh, going through the scavenger hunt and completing all the tasks. Mm-hmm. I guess it was like a semi bust then because yeah. we, we did. It, it's the, another one of those. We planned for way more products than we needed. Yes, yeah. that I 100% agree on. And we, because I, I did like the, you know, like we went, did Gildan, like I went really cheap on the, uh, on the type of t shirt it was and just like wanted to get as many as possible because we weren't sure like how many would, would of these would go. We just mm-hmm. had no idea. So we just got, at, you know, I forgot how many, do you remember how many teachers we got? It was at least 50. It was probably at least, I want to say like maybe 100. Maybe it was 100. I think you're right. I think it was close to 100. Uh, there t-shirts. were a couple of boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was I think it was close to 100 T-shirts because we just didn't know because it was Warp Tour. Right. So we didn't know how many we would go. So we f- felt like 100 was a safe bet. But I think still we had at least 50 come through and actually do the whole process, mm-hmm. at least maybe even more than that. Probably. Like I said, I think there yeah. were like two or three boxes. We definitely only left with the one. Yeah, definitely. So, so definitely the majority mm-hmm. of them went, which to me was a success in that case where, you know, if we only had like maybe a handful, I would say like maybe like 10, I'd say that would probably be a failure. But the majority went and I feel that like was they just all happy. moved while I wasn't at the booth. No, yeah. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, when you were moving around or something like that, I think that, you know, but it it did move. Like, I was actually pretty happy about that fact. So mm-hmm. I think for that case scenario, it was success. But the failure part of the project definitely, I think, was that we definitely we definitely ordered too much products. I still have it to this day. Well, and we were supposed to bleach them all. And yeah. that was the other thing, too. Was they were to all supposed all. to be the reverse tie-dye, and we just waited too long to get because yeah. we, we didn't we didn't know. It was, oh, this mm-hmm. won't take very long. And then a couple hours in and a few too much bleach fume. It, it always is the case. And whatever time frame you think something's going to take, I always say at least double it, honestly. That's, like, always my rule of thumb. Oh, man. I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up, though. That, that, actually was, that was actually a really fun project. I really enjoyed that one. Mm-hmm. So speaking of shows, I do want to talk about uh, two of them specifically. One that was also kind of a success, um, but there were some uh, there were some failures to it as well, um, and that was the Los Angeles showcase that we did. And also that was something else that Famigo sponsored, which was fantastic to help because without that we would not be able to launch the event. And this showcase we decided to do was okay. If we're trying to get attention to our artists, what if we did something in Los Angeles and invited people that we know in the industry to come and see our artists in one spot? And so we did it at Hotel Cafe, which they were fantastic in setting this up. But we wanted to do something unique where if we're going to bring the artists out to Los Angeles, we also want to open up to the public as well. So we did this essentially almost like a double header, if you will, event where we would have a showcase earlier that was just industry only. So it was invite only. We did open bar and invite invited people out to this specific event. And it would be shorter sets so that this way uh, artists can get through a little bit quicker so that whoever's showing up can at least see it as many as possible. And then right after that, we would do a, a ticketed event that was open to the public um, that that industry can still go to as well. So this way it gives them an opportunity to see them twice in one day. So they can come earlier, they can come to the later one if they wanted to. And also this was a, a way to you know have just a show in general. So we did that and the it, definitely the turnout wasn't as great as I was hoping it would be. And I think that it was just, even with months of planning, it was, it was still really, really challenging to try to convince people to come out and and especially to, you know, especially to basically the downtown LA area and to come out to the show. And then also to doing two shows back to back like that. That was just not a good idea. Like that, I think there was just a little bit too much work that was involved in that process. So what the problem was is like trying to promote both things in the same exact night. It was just was just not, you know, just not enough time. It was just too much to handle all at once. So Definitely will not do that exactly the same way again. I might do a showcase in the future, hopefully, but uh, definitely not doing a double header like that. That definitely, I think, was a little too ambitious at the time. It was also really funny because I think all of the interns at the time were under 21. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that it became problematic too. because we were supposed to go down and help set everything up and like help run the show because that that was like my role with, with 8020 at the time was I was the point of contact at shows so that Mike could take care of networking and, you know, handling things with the head. And I was the point of contact for the artists. And he wasn't like, they were just like, yeah, 21 and older, you even the people working with you can't come in. And it was, hmm, good luck, Mike. 
Yeah, that was right. My my entire team at the time was under 21. So it ended up just being myself that was able to go out and set everything up and arrange the events and things like that, too. So that also definitely made it a lot more challenging. And also, I think would have been much more beneficial for the team itself to be able to to go out to that. So that was another thing, too, that uh, was a little unfortunate. But um, but yeah, so. Again, it was definitely it was well worth doing because it was a great learning experience, and I still think it was it was definitely worth worth putting together. But definitely was we're I was definitely hoping for a little bit more people than we end up getting. So for in that case reasons, that was part of the. So in some cases it was a success because we actually did we did get people to come out. I mean, even the show itself, we had at least sixty people coming out on a weekday. So like it in that case scenario, it did do well, but. It was not as well as I guess was hoping for. And again, that, that's all about managing expectations. And this was the very first time doing this is the first time I actually uh, hosted any kind of event outside of Arizona. So for a lot of those purposes, it was definitely a learning experience for sure. It's what we in the gaming community call a learning curve. Aha. And limit testing. Yep. That too. <laughs> How many shows can you book on the same day without going insane and sacrificing turnout? Oh, geez. Uh, I mean, we could talk about the, <laughs> we could, I could talk about Phoenix Comic Con and what we did there. Now that, Ooh. that, that one. So, okay. That was not necessarily a failure, but I'll definitely will not do that again, the way we did it. So that one was, this was, I think 2015 Phoenix Comic Con. And we, we worked with the organization to run the entertainment. So I teamed up with uh, Gabe Kubanda from Epic Proportion Store, who is an artist on 8020 Records now. And so we teamed up and we did this, basically this three-day event at Phoenix Comic Con where we booked all the acts for their outdoor stage. Now, mind you that Phoenix Comic Con happens in the summertime in Arizona. Mm-hmm. when it's like 110 outside so we definitely had some uh heat exhaustion problems even like keeping everyone cool even giving them water doing as much as humanly possible people were still getting like heat exhaustion to the point of almost having heat stroke so that was not that not the best of times and also too a lot of the artists came out to do cosplay so they're also on stage in cosplay jumping around on stage in 110 degree weather. And this was for like at least six to eight hours a day for three days. There were 15 bands that we booked 15 for that event. And that was the other thing too, booking 15 bands and then keeping track of 15 bands and their scheduling and everything like that too. At Comic-Con, no less. At at Mm -hmm. Comic-Con. And also trying to organize it with KWSS because they had a booth in the convention to have them go and do interviews as well at the same time. What a time. If yes. you ever needed runners and interns, his that was the time. Yes, yeah. that's the time I needed it. Uh, I think I, I may have had one or two interns helping me out, but not that was all I really had at the time. <laughs> That's not enough have, for that that scale of an event. No, God, definitely yeah. was not. Um, so yeah, that was one of those things where it, it like fortunately, like it, like the the schedule went smoothly. Like that was all great. But yeah, it was just one of those things where like the just the conditions were not good and um definitely need a lot more help for that one. Mm-hmm. So 
I'll go back even further though. So one of the second event that I ever, so we, the first event I ever did was uh, a Halloween show and that was a, a massive success. It was the very first show I ever put together and we sold out and made money from it and everything, everyone, all the bands got paid. Everyone had a great time. So that was a success. So I wanted to run with this. So about a couple of years later, I wanted to do another event and Oh, kitty. Sorry, everyone. There's there's a there's a little kitty that's she was screaming. She's screaming. That's okay. She can always visit. She can contribute. So for this event, I wanted to do another holiday type of a show, but I didn't want to do another Halloween show because we already did one. So I thought, okay, well, you know, everyone does like Halloween shows or Christmas shows or things like that. Why don't we do something that's a little off the cuff, maybe something different? And I thought. Hey, nobody does anything for April Fool's Day. So why don't we do a show on April Fool's? Yeah, okay. See, yeah, I you see where this is going. So I thought this would be kind of cool. So we we came up with like some fun ideas and concepts around it and so forth. We did it at Alice Cooperstown, was where we had it at. Uh, I booked uh, a, a known act at the time. Um, to come and uh, to perform. That would be the headliner. We had one of our own artists on it and you know, and so we were really excited about this. Like, this is really cool. Like we had an artist do like these really cool flyers, everything like that. But we realized that as we started promoting this, like there was not, not much interest. And we were trying to see, you know, we were really struggling with the promotion of this event, this one in particular. And I remember uh, that about a couple of weeks, uh, maybe a week or two prior to the show, we found out that it was scheduled to rain on that day. Now, Alice Cooperstown, for those who don't know, their uh, their entertainment is outside. It's like a it's like a venue slash restaurant kind of a hybrid. But their patio is where the stage is. It's all outdoors. There's no there's not there's nothing overhead at all. So if it rains, it rains. It's going to go over everything. So I remember talking to the or. Uh, to the organizers, the, the event planners, and they gave me an out. They said, if we want to reschedule, we could. And in my gut, I thought that was my out. Let's just go ahead and reschedule. Like, you know, it's, you know, it's planned to rain. So it's a good reason. Like it's, it, I already knew that this was not shaping up the way I wanted to do it. It gave us, give us a ton of a time to kind of take a step back, assess what, what we're doing wrong. And then, and then kind of fix it and continue forward. And, but the rest of my team was like, no, we should go forward with it. Everyone's really excited about this event and so forth. And so this was the case where I didn't listen to my gut. I just listened to everyone else because I felt that as uh, to keep up morale for this, let's just go ahead with the event, rain or shine. So we went ahead and did it. And sure enough, we didn't promote it nowhere near as much as we should have. And we did have people come out. We had about, I think, 60, 70 people come out to the event. So that was a decent amount, but we were planning on like 100 to 200. So that was our goal for that. So, and the way that the arrangement was with the venue, I had to basically rent it. So I actually ended up losing quite a bit of money from that event because of those reasons. So that was definitely where my ambition was much higher than the actual expectation of, you know, uh, having a reasonable expectation of what the turnout was going to be. And also not necessarily listening to my gut when I know that things are going south and not sure how to course correct. And so sometimes you do, you know, for better or for worse, sometimes you do have to just listen to your gut 
And even though everyone else may not necessarily like it, you have to make the sometimes the hard decisions at the end of the day. And if it doesn't look like the thing's going to turn out well, sometimes you just have to pull the plug, even if some other people are not going to be happy to, to basically make the adjustments and either try it again or do something completely different. So that was probably, probably the one of the largest failures. Cause, cause in that case scenario, even though there was people that turned out, I literally lost money from that. And anytime you lose it, you're losing money that's on something like this. That's a fail. That's a huge fail. So fortunately, that's the only time though I lost money on an event, but you know, which is which I'm very lucky for. But uh, that was definitely one of those uh, those good lessons learned very early on. So, all right, um, I do have one more on this list, and then if we want, we can always tangent. So we also had this brilliant idea of doing playlists. So this was a concept that we were working on for a while now of. Again, trying to find other ways of as a record label to to do other things. And we see you know, a lot of other labels do this as well, where they create their own playlists surrounding their artists or just uh, playlists in general. So we thought that would be a great way to create content for ourselves as a as a label. But then on top of that as well, as a vehicle for our own artists to plug into, as well as something that would just be a good team building exercise as well. So uh, Moira, do you want to talk a little bit more about this? Because I know you were quite involved with this project. So for the playlists, uh, that was definitely a fun time. We, it, it, I mean, in theory, honestly, wasn't a bad idea. I think it was just execution and planning just wasn't the best. Also, we didn't really ever promote the playlists. I think we posted about them like once or twice. And we're like, hey, we have playlists. And then we never talked about it ever again. It was a matter of trying to find the balance between being annoying and promoting enough mm -hmm. because it was during a quiet patch of content. It was. Yeah. I agree. I think that was a big challenge for those playlists was how can we incorporate it into what we're doing, but also not make it all just about the playlist either. And again, it was a definitely a, a, a lull time for any kind of releases that we we're doing. So it could have been very easily uh where we were being overbearing on those playlists but on top of that too another thing was trying to keep the team going consistently and and built not only building out the playlists but also updating them as well and that became a challenge in and of itself mm -hmm. so i think during that time too we were also going through like quite a few like interns as well yeah, there, that was definitely a time where we were having some rotation, and that happens with internships, right? Is that... So that was near the summer. That was during the mm -hmm. summer. So it was the end of the semester going into the new semester. Um, so there was a lot of turnover with interns, and then I know that Moira and I were having some existential crises going on at the end <laughs> of the first semester, the second semester of college for us. Um, I was going through it, man. I was going through it. I just something about shaving your head in the girls' bathroom at the dorm. Listen, um, it was a vibe. I don't know what you're talking about. But it was like we, we met up on Saturdays and on Fridays it would be hanging out in Moira's dorm. Hey, did you uh do your 80-20 stuff? Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. It's already done. Definitely. That's more like clicking, adding more things to the playlists. Mm -hmm. And then it was, okay, but what if I just try to come up with a creative excuse for tomorrow? So like, right. I, I know for a fact that part of the reason why this failed is because I was a bad intern at the time. 
And like, I'll own up to that. I think that there's a potential for this to have succeeded if I had done my job and actually updated it, like you said, but you needed, I think we needed to have somebody who was passionate about playlisting, which I was not. Playlisting mm-hmm. gives me anxiety. <laughs> like my playlists are a bunch of songs in order from their albums. And I just hit shuffle. There we go. There's my playlist. Um, so if we had had somebody who was passionate about playlisting and that was their only job or um, something like that, because like I know Moira was really good at playlisting, but mm-hmm. we were both balancing a lot of stuff also. Yeah. That was definitely during a time where I had like a million things in my plate, but I was like, no, it's fine. I can take on one more thing. It's totally fine. And then I started doing playlisting and it was cool. And then it came to updating and I was like, uh, I don't know what to do from here. Cause the way that I update playlists, it's like, I just look at it and cause I'll have like, I have a million different playlists on my Spotify, especially. And I'll like overplay it to the point where I'm like, okay, I can't listen to this anymore. So I look at it and it's like, instead of updating, I'm just like, it's like I'm just making, I'm just going to make a new one. It's fine. Yeah, I literally the- have a playlist on my Spotify called Workout 2 Electric Boogaloo because I was too lazy to actually update the other playlist. I do the kind of the same thing too. I think it was a couple of things that I discovered, but one of them was the, you know, trying to update the playlist, I think was a big one and realizing that how much, you know, that that, that core is quite a bit of work. And also to, with our uh, interns turning around, you know, every couple of months or so, having it down so that essentially even to pass the baton, because also then you need somebody else to come on board that has the same exact passion for playlisting, which right. doesn't always mm-hmm. happen. We, we don't have a specific position just for playlisting alone. So you really have to find somebody who is going to be coming into a specific position that is also passionate about playlisting. Mm-hmm. So the new take that essentially we're doing now is these Essentially, I don't want to say one-off playlists, but these playlists that are 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 more not even just surrounding an artist, but also surrounding a specific single. So, like for example, the indie girl era playlist that we just came out with was uh, based around Fawn Flora's "See You at the Funeral." That was the idea behind that one. So, even if it we could update it, it totally can possibly be updated, but it doesn't have to be. It could mm-hmm. just be as it is, and then that's still something that helps support that particular single. So for those reasons, there's a lot less pressure on having some sort of consistent update for that particular playlist. And then there's some a number of other playlists that we're looking to launch that are kind of similar in that way where they don't necessarily have to be updated, but they can be as well. Um, and if they do are, are being updated, it doesn't have to be as frequent to still keep them relevant. So we're trying to keep that down a little bit, and but also having these uh, playlists that have a specific reason or function behind them. Because I think that was the other thing too. We were trying to do like mood playlists and things like that too, mm-hmm. where there was really no rhyme or reason to it. We just like we thought it would just be a fun thing to do, which is great at fine and dandy, but it really didn't have it serve any kind of specific purpose than just creating a mood playlist. So these are more are a lot more intentional. A, intentional, mm-hmm. exactly. A lot more intentional for what we're trying to create with them. Well, and yeah. that's something that 8020 has actually really learned about is I think that from you know, five years ago when Moira and I first hopped on the team to now, we've really learned about being intentional in each of the steps that the team takes in order to create projects. So it's no longer, okay, here's our loose time frame. It's okay, here's our time frame. These are our deadlines. Mm-hmm. And here's what we need to do and how we need to do it to get there instead of a 
loose bracket. So if you've got a song release coming up, it's not just, yeah, we'll upload everything and release the song. Woohoo! <laughs> it's planning out the promotion that you're doing, getting together all of the content that you're going to be using to be pushing it, scheduling calendar days, scheduling posts, figuring mm-hmm. out a podcast episode if it's, ap- if it's applicable. Um, and, you know, picking each of those things up uh, before you even need to do them, just so that you know that you need to do them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's so funny too, because it's like that saying where the doctors make their worst patients. And that was totally true with us as well, where we would do those things for our artists all day long. Like that's the things that we've been doing for years is the preparation and planning and making sure that everything is in order, making sure there's enough lead time on everything. <laughs> we never did it for ourselves. <laughs> so oh, it was no. something that, that, uh, that I had to really be good about practicing myself in, in having those things in place, because it, it was a lot to me, it, you know, like all of us, right. It's like, we, you know, we want to serve others and we want to, you know, make sure we do well for others, but sometimes we don't always take care of our own selves. And something that I've learned over the years is that you have to take care of yourself, number one, than anything else. Like if you can't take care of yourself, you're not going to be ultimately servicing the others so that the way that you can. And so that was also a very big lesson that I learned as well is making sure that you are taking care of yourself uh, along the way. And then of course, too, like learning from these failures, like they're, these failures wouldn't have brought us to where we are now if we didn't have those in the past. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's so important to have those failures and to learn from those failures and those mistakes that you've made so that you're not making them again. And that's how you learn. And that's how you grow as a person is through those, these various different projects. And I'm sure there's going to be many more failures to come, but that's, that's to me is the exciting part. You don't know what's ultimately going to work or not work. And, you know, and they don't work, then it's like, okay, well we tried and this is, this is what we found out and so forth. And then try something different from it. And you never know what's going to come from it. Mm-hmm. Like the podcast. Like yeah. the podcast. Exactly. So far, so good. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing great. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for uh, being on the show. I really do appreciate it. And it was always fun going down memory lane. So I appreciate you uh, talking to me about all the fun failed projects for Mighty 20 Records. Thanks for having us. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the 8020 show. If you haven't already, please subscribe or follow. If you enjoyed the episode or this podcast overall, please leave us a review or comment on our socials, which you can find us at 8020records on pretty much all platforms. You can also check us out on our website at www.8020records.com. And as always, be happy, be healthy, and be productive.